listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. All right, thanks, Paul, and welcome, everybody. Uh, glad that you're here tonight, and the format is going to be a little bit different tonight rather than, than uh, teaching. Wayne has been doing an excellent job teaching these past three weeks, and we thought it would be profitable to not teach. We just re- taught on this subject a couple Sundays ago, so we thought it would be really profitable for us to do uh, a question and answer. So in a moment, we're going to do that, but we've got a couple things to do first. Um, first thing is... Um, w- not pertaining to tonight, but to our next Wednesday night uh, midweek fellowships we're going to be doing in the fall. Wayne mentioned it last week, but in October and um, November, we're going to do a, a, a six-week series on church history. Really excited about that. Um, looking at the early church, persecution and expansion, Augustine and the church councils, the Middle Ages and the rise of Rome, the Reformation, Martin Luther and John Calvin, Puritanism and the Great Awakening, and then the American Church, 19th century to present day. Um, as Wayne mentioned last week, there's so much from church history that uh, really impacts us even today that we see, you know, history repeating itself, and we we can understand movements and different theological perspectives in the church from looking at church history. So that's going to be, uh, I think, a really, really edifying time. Don't just write that off and say, ah, that's boring. I mean, this is, there's really much to sink our teeth into, so look forward to that. Um, all right, one other little administrative thing. Um, guys, when we leave here tonight, um, we'd love for you to help us break down the tables and chairs, so the more the merrier. We're going to put them in those side classrooms um, I'm right there next to the sanctuary. Okay, a couple resources to let you know about. Pertaining to the topic tonight that we um, are, are looking at, the gospel and homosexuality. On July 14th, um, uh, we preached a message on this topic, took a break out of our series through the book of Mark. Several of you have asked if, you, if there's a CD available. Roberto, are you here, Robert? Um, I'm not sure if there are any hard copy CDs available on the information desk, but if not, you can look, and, and if there aren't, you can find it online, um, and if you're not the type of person that it's real easy for you to go online, um, then we can make an extra copy for you, so just let us know, and we'll be glad to make a, a copy or two for you. Okay, a couple resources. Um, one is, and we have all of these in the resource center right on the middle table there, um, a book that is, uh, we've just become aware of it, in fact, it was just released by a pastor named Peter Hubbard, and it is a book called Love Into Light, The Gospel, the Homosexual, and the Church, and it is a very clear, very solid theologically, but very warm and pastoral. Um, lots of it is a very thin book, very, very helpful. This would be a great book for you if you're just a, a Christian um, wanting to think about this issue more uh, biblically, just from a redemptive mindset, how this, how we as a people of God need to engage this issue. This would be a great, great book for you to pick up. Anybody want this book, by the way? Anybody back there? Amy Pye. All right, you can take that book, Amy Pye. Mark, can you run that book back to Amy Pye? I'm sorry, you're just minding your own business and you're going to be <laughs> my runner. All right, <clears throat> this next book, um, I tell you what, I read this book about two months ago and it grabbed me and I read it almost all the way through, which I rarely do. It's not a big book, but this is a book 
by, it's called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, an English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith, written by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria was an English a women's literature um, and, and a feminine studies professor at Syracuse University and was an, uh, a, a radical lesbian. And um, through the witness of a, uh, of a Presbyterian church in Syracuse, uh, she had written some pretty negative things and did this seminar, and the pastor of this church wrote her a letter, asked her to get together for dinner, and through the quiet friendship witness of several years, this pastor and his family uh, really won Rosaria to the Lord. That was the means that God used to bring her to the Lord. She, she left a lifestyle, then actually married a Presbyterian pastor, and she now is a mother, pastor's wife in North Carolina. What I think is so good about this book is it's a wonderful and beautiful presentation of how just regular Christians in a regular little unspectacular church can be just a means of redemptive grace, not just to people that are in the homosexual lifestyle, but just to the world. I, I think there's so much value in this book to just think about what it means to be a Christian in a broken world and how we should love sinners and people that are broken just like us into, into the gospel. Excellent book. Wonderful writer. Um, I highly commend this book. Anybody want, anybody want this book? Sarah Ann, there you go, right behind your mark. Um, and then here's a book. Um, a, a, it's a compilation of really testimonies um, put out by uh, a ministry, uh, C CCEF, Christian Counseling Education Foundation, and a partner ministry of theirs called Harvest USA, uh, which particularly ministers to people um, in the homosexual lifestyle. And it is stories of transformation and change. It's a small book, and it's basically stories written from people that were wrestling with same-sex attraction and are now trusting in Christ. It's a compilation of about eight to ten stories, very brief, very short read, very encouraging. Um, so regardless of whether you were wrestling with it or some, just you just want to be encouraged by how the gospel hits the human heart, this would be a great book. Anybody want, anybody want this book? Anybody in the back there? Jesse Wood? All right. Um, somebody, Jesse... Are you just going to make me come all the way to you? Oh, man, all right, I see how it is. You're married now. You're just a big-time guy. Got promoted at Chick-fil-A. Just come. Yeah, just whatever. All right, I, I got you. And then here's, a, uh, here's an article written by a guy named Jonathan Lehman, um, who is the uh, executive director of Nine Marks Ministries, which we're very tied into, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He wrote this article for the Gospel Coalition blog, and it's called Love and the Inhumanity of Same-Sex Marriage. And it's an excellent, warm, biblical, but clear explanation of why Christians, um, why it's not a loving thing to do to just sort of accept the cultural tidal wave of, of, of condoning homosexual marriage. We've got a bunch of copies in the resources. These are free. Anybody just want the copy that I have in my hand right here? Blake, you got it, brother. Um, see, Blake gets up and comes to me. You see that? Just I'm just busting your, I'm just busting your chops. I'm just busting your chops. I'm sorry. All right. Um, well, listen, before Wayne and I get up and answer your questions, um, really, really excited, humbled, and privileged to do something kind of special uh, tonight. Um, a young man that has been part of this church uh, and was a member here while he was at, uh, a, a student at Columbus State University, uh, came to trust in Christ here in Columbus, um, and then shortly after he came to trust in Christ, became a member of this church. 
and um, is very acquainted with, uh, with, with what this subject matter and, and, and what it means to be a Christian wrestling with sin and has a, a, just a, a beautiful and very encouraging testimony that we thought would help to really um, do what we talked about a couple Sundays ago, that, friends, this is not a political issue or necessarily a doctrinal issue as much as it is about the gospel and people. And uh, we just thought it would be a great encouragement to hear one of our own, a, a, a former member of Crosspoint who's now moved on and is serving a church in Peachtree City, which we're still bitter about that he had to move and get a job somewhere else. But we thought it would be a real, a real encouragement for you to hear from one of our own. So I'm going to invite Casey Hall to come and share his testimony with you. Give Casey a hand. Uh, hi, I'm Casey Hall. Um, I was a member here, like you said, um, and I for about a year, and then I graduated from CSU uh, with a music ed degree. Um, I now teach elementary music K through five in South Fulton. Um, I just got a full time job there, so it's pretty cool. Um, and I attend, ironically, attend a church in Peachtree City called Cross Point Church, so that's fun. Um, <laughs> uh, I miss it here a lot, so. Um, and I just got promoted, actually, there to the children's director, so it's pretty sweet. Um, anyways, this is my testimony of God's grace in my life. Uh, my first kiss was in kindergarten, and it was to a boy. Um, and after looking back on what my life is now, I can actually tell you that I had homosexual desires from a very young age. Um, when I was in fifth grade, I was given a death threat for being gay. In high school, I was constantly mocked for being gay, though always denying it. But deep down... I knew I wrestled with uh, same-sex attraction. Going to college changed things, obviously. Uh, I was told to be who I was and enjoy myself, but however, uh, I was told by my home church that homosexuals go to hell. Uh, I was conflicted and severely confused, and I ended up leading two lives, the Christian boy at home and the homosexual at college. Uh, I was um, a, definitely a pro at keeping them separate, um, and to keep things short, uh, short, I slipped up one time, and my whole world collapsed. My parents found out, and my life was in shambles. I quickly devised new plans on how to keep my separate lives apart and went on my business. Uh, during my senior year of college, uh, right next to my house in downtown Columbus, a billboard read, Are You Going to Heaven or Hell? I was immediately convicted, but just put it in the back of my mind, um, however, seeing it every time when I was driving home didn't keep it there. Soon after, I was given the unfortunate news of a good friend ending his own life. With a broken heart, I asked myself, where would I be if I actually died today? I again put the question back in the back of my mind, only to find a month later exactly another friend ended her own life. Completely broken, I finally confronted the question and realized that this was not the life that I was proclaiming. Looks like God actually does save people through billboards. <laughs> Thankfully, God is much smarter than me and placed people in my life who did not give up on my spirituality or let, think less of me for my sins. Without my dear friends and extremely faithful and supportive parents, I would not be talking in front of all of these people professing my true faith in Jesus Christ. After coming to Crosspoint and now moving on to another church after I graduated, I finally felt 
uh, loved and cared for by a redemptive community and was so relieved that my personal insecurities would not be looked down upon. I'm now confident that my question has been finally answered. Through trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am finally free of my insecurities and can walk alongside him. My homosexual desires have dropped about 80% after finding my true identity in Christ and not in my sexuality. Praise Jesus. Um, I have written a blog about my continual testimony in order um, to give in, in more detail that I might urge you to share with others and maybe even people you know who struggle with same-sex attraction. The link is, if you want to write it down, um, hypocrite, um, that, yeah, H-Y-P-O-C-R-I-T-E, for for holiness dot blogspot dot com. That's hypocrite for holiness dot blogspot dot com. Um, within twelve hours of posting my first entry, fifteen hundred people had viewed the blog, and now the total is more than seven thousand. Uh, I see now that God is using my life for His glory and not mine. Like all Christians, my wrestle with sin and temptation is not over, but praise God that the gospel holds on or holds out hope for all sinners that struggle with all types of sin, whether homosexual, heterosexual sin, or whatever. The beautiful news of the gospel is that Jesus can and does rescue and restore and give us his strength and righteousness so that we can take God's side against our sin. And praise God that because of what Jesus did on the cross to bear the punishment for my sin, I am no longer identified by past sins or even ongoing temptation, but by Christ and his work and his spirit that dwells in me. Thank you. Hey, um, Casey, Casey will be around tonight. We would love for you to talk to him. Come on up, Wayne. We'll get started on this. And um, blog, if you, if you want, if you didn't catch that, you can go to Casey afterwards. He'll give you a little, he'll write it out for you. Hypocriteforholiness.blogspot.com. Awesome. All right. Well, our plan is to um, work through some questions first that have been submitted prior to, um, and Wayne and I are just going to kind of bounce them back and forth, and then if you have a question, um, two things, we're going to try and answer questions from the floor too after we work through as, as quickly as we can the questions that were pre-submitted, and so you can ask a question from the floor, but if you are just a, a little reticent to get up and ask a question for whatever reason, you can text it to that cell phone number, and um, that then the guys will put it up on the screen, okay? Are you ready to go, Wayne? All right. Um, Wayne, I'll let you take the first crack at this first question, question, an important question. Do you think a person can be born with homosexual orientation? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Just uh, really intro our time, and uh, still a little emotional from, you know, hearing Casey's testimony and and just God's grace in his life and uh, knowing that, that dear brother. Um, but oftentimes, uh, homosexual advocates um, will argue that uh, a person is born that way, that you're, you're born homosexual, and because you're born that way, uh, it's okay, it's who we are by nature, therefore it's, it's fine. Um, oftentimes what will happen then, the Christian community has reacted strongly to that, uh, in a, rightly in some cases, but 
sometimes overreacting to that, saying that, no, 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 we're not born that way. Uh, a person chooses to do that. And so oftentimes Christians will sort of throw out that uh, sort of any sort of biological component to it or any sort of uh, just sort of natural proclivity towards same-sex attraction uh, and argue simply from the matter of choice that this is merely a choice. Um, but really it's a, I mean, it is a, I would say it's probably a combination of the two in most cases. Um, certainly, uh, like sin, any sin uh, is, is complex. Um, we do have certain dispositions toward all sorts of things. And for some people, uh, that may be uh, towards same-sex attraction. Um, a person is still morally responsible for what they do. Um, remember, we are sinners not only by choice or by our environment or by our upbringing and by sort of doing bad things uh, in our lives, but also by our very nature. And so our very nature is fallen, it is sinful, and it will express itself in all sorts of different ways. And that is, in a sense, wired into our DNA. Mm-hmm. And so is there an orientation toward homosexuality? Um, that may be one factor uh, for some people. So there can be, I think, that. But that shouldn't rock us. I mean, the nature uh, of sin is that it affects our nature uh, and, and what we do. It's to the core of our being. But ultimately, we're still responsible for that. Um, and ultimately, I, I think even in a conversation uh, with people um, to talk about, I think we can lay out that to them that, yes, maybe it is nature, um, but also nurture and also sort of your life. Um, and, and your choices, certainly choices play a part uh, in it. And we are responsible for what we do. But ultimately, uh, I think it's, it's an issue of the heart. Um, it's an issue of are you going to take God's side against your sin or are you just going to give in to it and do what you want to do? Mm-hmm. And so I think orientation, um, people are oriented towards sin. That's how we are. That's our nature. And for some people, that may in fact be same-sex attraction and giving in to that. Yeah. Amen. I'd, I'd agree. I, I wouldn't add anything to that. I, mean, I, I, I want you guys to get this theology in your mind. Everything got wrecked in Genesis 3, all the way down. And so all of us are born perverts on some level. Some of us are heterosexual perverts, and some of us have same-sex attractions. But we're all broken to the core. So that's a great answer. Okay, I'll take a shot at this next question. Can a homosexual be a Christian... And could a homosexual be a member of Crosspoint? Great question. I want to qualify that um, because this is bigger than just uh, uh, this particular sin issue of same-sex attraction or, or, I mean, this sin issue of homosexual practice. Um, I want to push against the tendency that we have to identify ourselves merely by our sexual attraction. Okay, so... um, a person who is, uh, whatever they're doing with their body sexually, more fundamentally is a human made in the image of God than they are a sexual being. So I, I want to push against people that want to identify themselves as homosexuals or, or whatever. Um, but I also realize that, as we've heard tonight, it is possible for a person to be trusting in Christ and to take God's side against their sin and there to still be ongoing temptation in their life. But that person is, again, taking God's side against their sins. So every person in this room who is heterosexual, 
the day they got married didn't just all of a sudden lose and may to some degree still for the rest of their life have to keep in check desire that is outside of God's plan for marriage. So um, could a person, I want to qualify the question and reword it and say, could a person that is wrestling with same-sex attraction but trusting in Christ, taking God's side against their sin, be a Christian? Of course. Just like every other sinner that still is tempted could be a Christian. And could a person that wrestles with same-sex attraction be a member of Crosspoint? Yes, if they're trusting in Christ and taking God's side against their sin, yes. Um, but if a, if a person was giving themselves over to the homosexual lifestyle and saying that I don't find any incompatibility with this in the Bible, um, no, I, they could not uh, be a member of Crosspoint, and I don't think that person could consider themselves a Christian, just like a person that said, you know what, I'm just going to sleep with whoever I want, whatever pretty girl I think will, will you know, agree to it, or I'm just going to get drunk every night, or I'm going to embezzle money, or I'm going to download porn, or I'm going to, you know, just be a jerk. I mean, unrepented of sin, not taking God's side against your sin, calls into question whether or not you're truly a Christian. And at some point, the, the, the community of Christians needs to say, brother, we can no longer validate your testimony. So, so yes, people that wrestle but are taking God's side can certainly be Christians and members of Crosspoint. And, and praise God, we have people in that, in that place um, as members of our church. Anything you'd add? All right, next question. Um, what should I do if I think my teenage child is struggling with homosexuality? Wayne? Uh, yeah, I think for, for that question, um, which, by the way, is something that you know, is, is quite common. We have folks in the church who um, have certainly struggled with that. Um, I think really there's uh, maybe three different categories of where that teenage child is, and the answer will really sort of be determined based on what category it is. So three categories would be uh, if you simply have suspicion that your child may be struggling with this, that's one category, so there's suspicion. One is that your child, uh, either because you have caught them in it or because they've opened up and confessed it to you, um, they have said and clearly stated that, yes, I have struggled with this. Um, and uh, they uh, have given into it, and they, they want to continue giving into it. So they're unrepentant in it. So there will be another category, a uh, different sort of uh, situation to face. And the third one would be that uh, you, your teenage child struggles with it, with same-sex attraction, um, you have either because you have uh, sort of caught them in it or sound, found something where it's obvious and you've confronted them in that sin, or they've confessed it to you and say, I'm struggling with this, but they, they, they see it as a sin, they want to take God's side against it, and it's a struggle for them. So those are three different categories, and I think we would want to maybe answer each of those a little differently. Um, if it's a mere suspicion and you think that may be the case, uh, I mean, sort of like any sort of sin that you you sort of see your teenage child sort of um, sort of on the horizon of, of your teenage child where you think this may be the case you don't know for sure. Um, I think the biggest thing you would want to do in that situation is to keep the lines of communication open with that teenager. Talk to them. Love them. Ask them good questions. Um, and if the suspicion raises to a point where you need to confront them and ask them directly, then you do that. 
and you take that as an opportunity to love and, and shepherd your child's heart in that situation and and uh, without obviously if they're if they're giving themselves into it without condoning it there's a way to love um, and still not condone uh, the sin the second uh, sort of scenario where your child is open uh, opened up to you you've either caught them or they've said that they are this way uh, and they're giving themselves to it they're unrepentant um, I think really the tenor that you would want to strike there is one of wise, prayerful evangelism toward your child. Still loving your child, still keeping the lines of communication open, but your status is to not treat them as a Christian. They're not taking God's side against their sins, so they're not showing that they're really trusting in the Lord. And so it's one of prayerful, thoughtful evangelism, certainly loving them, not condoning their sin, um, but, but caring for them, loving them, pointing them toward the Lord. And then the third category, um, one uh, who the, the teenager has opened up about this, or you've, you've caught them, and they're repentant. They're, they know what's wrong, but they're struggling for them. And this goes back to orientation. Maybe they um, are sort of predisposed to that and have a proclivity toward that. And, and then it just takes sort of wise discipleship of your kid. Uh, it's not no longer sort of evangelism because they're not just sort of giving in to their sin. They're just struggling with this this thing, and you, you love them, you disciple them, uh, you 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 help them to to grow. You talk to them about the nature of sin and you explain that. You urge them to fight sin. Um, you know, you uh, remind them that you know the Lord is is for the downcast. He's for the downtrodden, and, and you encourage them in that, and you disciple them. So it's going to depend on sort of the circumstances under which, like, that, that comes to light, like, with your teenage child. Yeah, and the only thing I would add is that if you find yourself in that spot, please know that this, this is a safe place. You know, I, being a parent has, re, has really revealed to me my idolatry, Um, And when my kids aren't acting quite like I want them to, there's a tendency in me to be just like, stop it because people might notice, you know. (laughs) I mean, I don't care anything about their heart. It's just all about me and my public image, right? And so, man, one, one just the only thing I'd add to that excellent answer is, man, the quicker I can repent of my shame and my, like, my idolatry and then move towards my redemptive community, towards my pastors and say, Man, so know that this is a safe place to talk to your pastors, to talk to your friends here at Crosspoint, if you as a parent find yourself there. And be strangely encouraged if, you're an, uh, if your heart's an idol factory of, of just weak parenting, because <laughs> so is mine. Um, that may make you want to find another church because you realize what a wreck I am. Okay, question number five. Um, as Christians... Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Question number four. How should I interact with my adult, adult homosexual child, child and their partner? Yeah, great question. Related a little bit to this one. I touched on it on the sermon on July 14th. Yeah, I think there's a way to love without condoning. I mean, I would want to move close to that person. Um, I'd, want to, I'd, want to, I'd, want to, I'd want to keep that relationship going um, because, you know, we have Christ and they need Christ. And I wouldn't want to separate them from the very thing that they need. But I would be very clear that I don't condone that behavior. 
So I gave the analogy, and I shudder to even bring this up again. Arabella's not in the room, is she, Jennifer? Okay, good. Like, I, I, like if Arabella grew up and she rejected the faith and had a live-in boyfriend and they came and they stayed at our house, would they be welcome at Thanksgiving dinner at my house? Yes. I would have to run about 10 miles and do about a couple hours on the punching bag before that punk came over to my house, but they would be welcome at my house. Man, we'd eat, we'd drink. I'd be clear, I'd be kind and winsome, but I'd be clear about how, what I think the consequences of their sin are. And if they were staying the night, Jerkwad would go over to the room over on that side of the house, and my little princess would go over to that side of the house, and I would set up concertina wire and an M60 machine gun that was on a trip line that if that joker came out of that room in the middle of the night, he'd get cut in half. But would I want him in my house? Yeah, man. Come on. I want you close to me. Punk. And, and I, I, I think I'd think it the same way here. I think there's a way to love without condoning. But man, that's, that's not an individual sport, is it? Man, you, we need community to figure that one out. So any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, just to, I mean, remember that we are the aroma of yeah. Christ to even our kids who um, reject him. And so I think remember that. And then we, ha- we haven't mentioned just the notion, I mean, just pray. Like pray for your children. Um, pray for your adult children who are not uh, trusting in the Lord. And don't underestimate that. Um, God works by means, and one of the ways that he does that oftentimes is through the prayers of faithful parents uh, who, are, who are praying for their kids mm-hmm. daily. And so God can change them. We need to pray to him for him to do that. Amen. All right, getting into the political realm. and I'm, If you sent these questions in, we're combining a few of them because they were so similar. Next question is, Christians, I don't think we should be apathetic toward politics, but the current political conversation isn't about whether homosexuality is right or wrong, but instead is presenting it as a human rights issue, Defense of Marriage Act, legalization of gay marriages. Where should we as Bible-believing Christians fall on these issues? How should the collective Christian voice be responding? How would you advise the Christian politician to respond to the issue of legalized same-sex marriage? Should we abandon the separation of church and state? Lots of questions together, but I think this overarching idea of political involvement, Christians, political stances. Wayne? Um, Yeah, there's a lot of... uh, (laughs) Brad. A lot of questions. Sorry, buddy. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, We should not be apathetic toward politics. Uh, we, I think we need to be careful not to always align ourselves with like a, the political system and ideology. We obviously need to first see ourselves as Christians um, and not simply as Republicans or Democrats. So certainly that's true, but we should not be apathetic. Uh, we should rightly oppose gay marriage. We should rightly um, oppose that um, being really uh, trickling down to all levels of our culture and society through the government, we should do that collectively, not just as in, as individuals, but our, you know, as our church does. Like we have a clear stance on this, and we we aren't afraid to speak out on it, and even have times like this where we address it uh, very particularly. Um, uh, if there were, for example, uh, a vote come up in Georgia, and 
uh, you know, are you in support of gay marriage or not? It would be a sin for a Christian to vote that way and to say that, yes, we are in support of gay marriage. That would be clearly a sin to vote for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a sin also if you at, the, at your workplace, uh, has, has a conver- if you have a conversation with your coworker and they ask you, what do you think about this? And you say, well, I think, I think it's okay and uh, it's not a big deal. You know, it is what it is. It would also be a sin for you to have that response. You know, we need to speak clearly, obviously graciously on this issue, very clearly. And we need to do that not just in the private sphere, but also politically. And so uh, it should affect how we vote. It should affect um, our stance toward politics. Um, Now, certainly, uh, recently in our culture, fairly recently, um, you know, the, I think the general understanding of what marriage is has shifted. Um, it's been gradual, uh, really probably the last 30, 40 years, um, where 30 or 40 years ago it was probably clear in the culture that marriage was between one woman, one man. It was intended to be for a lifetime. Uh, there was uh, monogamy was expected in that relationship. And that the relationship, among other things, uh, it was to be sort of the incubator for you know, children, for a family, and that was a, one of the purposes of marriage. Um, now, we certainly have a, a different definition of marriage, which is um, common, if not dominant, in our culture, and certainly dominant among our cultural elites, which argues that marriage is simply a sort of a temporary um, joining of two individuals uh, for personal fulfillment for sexual fulfillment, uh, for emotional fulfillment, and when that fulfillment is not met, that one person can leave that uh, relationship as they choose. Uh, now, that has certainly dire consequences for society, dire consequences for, for uh, really for uh, certainly children. Um, and so now we as Christians are faced in a culture that is not friendly to us uh, in this area. And... I think one of the great opportunities that we have as a church, uh, locally and then universally in, in our country, is now we really will have an opportunity to live as aliens and foreigners and sojourners in this land, mm-hmm. that we will be different than our culture. At one time, our culture, uh, the dominant culture was similar in this area to the teachings of the church. Um, now it is not the case. And so there is a contrast, and where there is contrast, there can be uh, exposure and light exposed. So I think we have a chance in our culture to speak to these issues in ways that we haven't really been able to before. And so it is an opportunity, uh, though culturally there are certainly, um, certainly drawbacks, and, and there will be consequences for these things too. I didn't hit on all the questions, but I, yeah. I feel like I took no, a That's a good point. answer, yeah. I would just add, it's not, if we understand, if we say we believe the Bible, we believe what, this, what the Bible says about sin and the consequences of sin and the holiness and goodness of God, it's not a loving thing to not be clear about the consequences of disobeying God. And so don't be duped by the cultural argument that, well, it's not hurting anybody. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. It will eternally hurt somebody to, to leave them in their sin. So, but great question. Okay, keeping it clipping along. I'm going to get to your questions. In business, diversity has become big. The definition 
of diversity has expanded from the traditional consideration of women, African Americans, Hispanics, to also include lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual questioning. How would you suggest Christians respond to corporate and government suggestions that we promote the LGBTQ lifestyles in corporate culture as well as hiring employees and suppliers? Man, a, a great question. Similar to the political, I, I think that you know, if I were a, a mid-level manager um, and I was being um, encouraged by my company to fill a quota, um, regardless of what you think about the practices of affirmative action, friends, um, do not make the mistake of translating ethnicity as being on the same level of sexual orientation. Right? That's not... I, I just don't see that. We can talk more about that. Um, I would have a very difficult time staying in that environment where I had to hire somebody to fill some quota um, if, if that company was viewing um, this, this issue as a, a civil rights issue. And um, I think you might need, if you're in that environment, I mean, I would encourage you to come to, to your pastors or to wherever church you might be attending and Hopefully they have a biblical stance on it, but I think that would be a very difficult environment to thrive in. And um, I think if you just kind of hear no evil, see no evil, you're really doing a dis disservice to your witness and to, the, to that company. Yeah. yeah, I think that's helpful and, and, and a really good answer, Brad. Yeah. The only thing I, I would add, um, say you are at a company, a large corporation uh, that uh, – you know, doles out health care benefits to same-sex couples. And say you work in the department um, that uh, sort of administers that or takes part in that. Um, I think as a Christian, um, uh, there would be freedom to work in that environment. Um, it's different. I think it's different than meeting mm -hmm. like a quota because um, you're simply sort of executing like the policies of the corporation to extend benefits. I, I think it's a little different than, yeah. than, than that, but mm -hmm. um, so there, uh, there would be, I think, a little nuance, a little bit of freedom there. But and Maybe just a personal example, a little bit of a yeah. tangent, but my wife is, as I think most of you know, is a pediatrician, and she actually takes care of the children of three or four lesbian couples. And um, I mean, hey, she just takes care of the kids. When she's in the room, in the exam room with those two parents and the kids in there, she's going to give them every bit of, uh, you know, attention like she would anybody else. She's going to treat them with respect and is not refusing to be their doctor or anything like that. But, um, but I, you know, as the opportunity presents itself, it's clear about who she is and what she believes. So, yeah, there's just so many variables there. But, um, well, let's keep going. This one's for you, Wayne. Without being offensive, how can a Christian share the truth in love with a homosexual? I think, I think it can start uh, just with the sort of language that you use when you refer to them. Do you refer to them as them? Do you refer to them as other? Do you refer to them as sort of you people? Um, uh, so I, I think we, we can uh, sort of unwittingly I uh, just sort of uh, just sort of assume that they're so other and so different than us that we're already uh, sort of in opposition to one another and setting ourselves opposed to them. Um, because if they have not yet repented and believed, and if they're given themselves to that lifestyle, then they have not. Then they are potentially part of our team, 
potentially if they trust in the gospel, they respond to the Lord. And so to not see them as sort of foreign and other, but um, and not to show hostility towards them in that, but to just remind yourself that they too are made in the image of God. They too are sinners like you. And apart from Christ, you would seek your own way. Apart from Christ, they are seeking their own way. To remind yourself of that uh, will give you, I think, great humility as, as you and I uh, approach uh, people in that lifestyle. I think we can be kind to them, uh, obviously you know, respect them, um, love them, pursue like an appropriate relationship uh, with, with friends or who, neighbors who have given themselves into that. And also to be clear on that this is, this is a sin and, and be clear that this is, this is where you stand, this is where the Bible, um, this is what the Bible says and this is what you believe. So we don't want to just sort of uh, just love them and we don't want to just confront. And we don't want to confront and then assume that after we confront we would then have an opportunity to love them. I think we start with, with loving them, getting to know them, building a friendship. But we never just leave it just as that. Uh, if we build a friendship after a little while, then we must. If we really love them, we will speak the truth to them. We will point them toward the gospel. Amen. I don't have anything to add to that other than this question convicted me because why don't I ask this question about all people, not just homosexuals that aren't sinners, or that, that aren't Christians? You know what I'm saying? So I want to guard my heart from saying, oh, there's somebody in my life that seems to be homosexual. What do I do? But then the, the 15 other people that I interact that, with that day that I know not to be Christian, I'm like, ah, they're all right, whatever. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I have no burden to share Christ with them. Do you see the danger we can fall into that this is some sort of, some sort of special classification of sin and we've got to handle this thing? I mean, we don't see sin rightly oftentimes. And so I, I want to have this same impulse for everybody in my life that I don't think is trusting in Christ. So... Um, I was convicted by that question. Okay, question eight. A um, little background for this one. Uh, the question is, when do you think it's appropriate to talk to children about these issues? Any guidance as to interacting with families that include same-sex parents? How would you equip your child to deal with friendship with a child of a same-sex couple? So the background this person gave on their question is, a few months ago, a coworker, knowing me to be a believer and one she trusts, approached me. By asking my views on homosexuality, if it is a sin, etc., she has two young daughters who have befriended girls at their school who have two same-sex moms. The girls often play together in both my co-worker's home as well as the home of their friends. My co-worker was wondering how I would handle this situation if I were in her shoes. Should she sh- allow her girls to play in their friend's home? It's already happening. Should she allow them to spend the night? How should she talk to her girls about this? We talked at length about what the Bible says about homosexuality, but I had a hard time knowing how to counsel her about her girl's involvement with this family. Mm. Complex. Um, I think that if my child, if my children were very young and this issue was not being, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't confronted with it, I wouldn't probably bring it up until, you know, their later childhood years. Um, if you were in this situation um, confronted with it, I think you just talk about just general categories of sin and what the family is um, without being graphic or spelling it out. Um, in this situation, it sounds like the children are already going over to the house and spending the night. 
I, I personally, again, would engage this family, and if they were my neighbors, I would be friends with them, and I would, I would let my children interact with them on some level, but I don't think we would go over to the house. Um, that would just be my personal conviction. Certainly, they wouldn't spend the night. Um, uh, so I would, I think that's a delicate balance there. Um, but I would want to treat that family again. I would want my posture towards them to be one of evangelism, one of, 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 of holding up Christ and um, helping to shepherd my children's heart to understand that there's a way to love people who are not trusting in Jesus and not condone their behavior. And when children are very young, I think that can be you know, just very simple, big truths without getting into graphic details about behavior. And as they grow in maturity, you become more and more clear about why that person is, is, is um, not trusting in Christ. I don't know if that was very helpful. Help me with that. <laughs> Do you have anything you'd add to that? Yeah. If you ask that question um, and you thought that was terribly weak, um, we can talk later. Uh, it's dicey. I mean, that's just, there's so many variables there. Um, and part of it is that you, you want to protect your kids, yeah. and that's the thing that, as a parent, you should do. And yet you're also, like we mentioned earlier, you're a, a sojourner in a foreign mm-hmm. land. You're sent as a missionary with a gospel into your community. And how do you work those two different things? And I think it's just a lot of wisdom as a parent how to do that, to not put your kids in a bad position, but at the same time, like not cut them off from the realities of yeah. living in a sinful world. Yeah, yeah. All right, last two questions. What is a godly, this one's for you, Wayne, what is the godly response to gender confusions? The young boy who loves pink shoes at a young age or grows up to be a homosexual and transsexuality. Good question. Uh, transsexuality, I'll take that one first. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, I mean, God gives gender. Uh, it's defined by God. He did not uh, sort of make gender an add-on to what it means to be human. Uh, every human has a gender, uh, and so we should certainly be content with the gender that we have because it's been God-given. Um, now, the, the gender confusion, um, I think the bigger issue, is, uh, maybe a root issue of that is, like, what does it mean to be a boy? What does it mean to be a girl? Um, if you define what it means to be a boy as you like SEC football and you like to hunt and you like to fish uh, and you like to wrestle and you like to play outside, then if you have a son who is uh, not geared toward that and who is geared more toward being artistic and musical and liking to read poetry, uh, then you can be setting your your son up um, to not meet your standards of what it is to be a man. And if he's not meeting your standards of what it means to be a man, then that may, uh, down the road, like, confuse him, you know, because he may say to himself, you know, if this is what it means to be a man, and I'm not, I don't like SEC football. I like to read poetry. Um, you're sort of setting himself up, confusing, like, him later on, on his gender. A lot of what we take, uh, you know, as being sort of appropriate to um, what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman uh, are social constructs. I mean, they're just things that uh, we sort of see that's prevalent in the culture, but we need to have room for sort of a wider vision of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Um, A guy can love music. A guy can 
enjoy theater. Mm -hmm. A guy can like poetry, and that's not even any less masculine than, uh, you know, watching NASCAR. Uh, so we have to be careful there. We have to be careful as parents when we think through those things. We have to be careful as a church not to sort of set kids up for failure early on. Uh, in fact, I mean, Jesus himself, I mean, he wouldn't meet some of our qualifications of what it means to be a true man, and yet he was the, the perfect man, uh, the only sort of fully human who's ever existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet he describes himself as lowly and meek, uh, and he washed the disciples' feet, and he, he you know, laid his life down. Uh, and so we have to be careful there. Um, uh, and I think with young children especially, uh, you know, we sometimes it's easy to overreact. Say your child, your son goes into your wife's closet and just puts on her shoes and walks out because he thinks it's funny. He does this once. Uh, like you as a dad, you don't need to overreact on that. You just laugh it off and tell the boy to get out of the closet. Don't go in the <laughs> closet again. You don't have to make a big deal of it. Uh, yeah. Just sort of move on and, and be fine with it. However, I mean, I think this question also gets uh, I mean, to a real issue of gender confusion in our culture. Uh, just from a personal experience, um, I was a, uh, we were in Louisville, um, I was at a church, and one of the boys in that church is a fifth grader. Um, you know, his older sister, who was in high school, I was working with the youth at the time, uh, you know, he, she would tell me uh, that you know, he would wear lipstick at his house, uh, he'd wear makeup, uh, he would wear girls' clothes occasionally. Uh, he was a feminine boy who um, really liked cheerleading, gymnastics, and his grandparents who took care of him like encouraged that because that's what he wanted to do. Uh, so, uh, so yes, I think we need to be careful about our definitions of what it means to be a man and a woman, but we also need to be wise. You know, if we see, we don't need to maybe we just don't need to encourage a gender confusion in our child too. So, um, it's not appropriate for a young boy to be wearing lipstick and makeup at the house. Um, if there's a, if there's a, that desire at the home, then the father, or if the father's there, the mother should confront that and talk to that child. So it can be a very complicated issue. So I think we shouldn't overreact, but when we see sort of clear signs, uh, we just need to be, we just need to be clear on what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Amen. All right, last question before we take questions from the floor. How should Christians respond to questions about whether or not loving and otherwise moral same-sex couples should be allowed to adopt? Is it better for a child to live in a foster care or an orphanage or to be adopted by homosexual, by a homosexual couple that would love and provide for him or her? What is the church's view on homosexual adoption? Well, clearly we would be opposed to homosexual adoption because we are opposed to, we don't believe that homosexual marriage is a valid or homosexuality or marriage between two genders is a valid expression of God's design. Um, and I, I just, you know, I mean, I, I want to push against. I, it's a great question, but, you know, we can always think of a scenario that would be worse, you know. Well, what a, but that shouldn't stop us from speaking against something that is clearly wrong. Um, so could you present a scenario where there's a child is maybe safer in this environment than he would be if he was in the environment of a abusive physically or sexually? Yeah, but, but in general, we should clearly um, be opposed to children being adopted by homosexual couples. It's not good for the child. Um, 
and um, I, I think that if we were part of any adoption network, whatever, we would be opposed. We would certainly not support support that as a church because, again, it's not a loving thing to do to allow people to, to, to live in their sin. And that article by Jonathan Lehman on the inhumanity of same-sex marriage I think might be really, really helpful for you on that. So... Great question. Okay, I want to I want to get to you guys' question. Does any are there any questions that have been text? Yep. All right. Throw it up there. When addressing orientation to sin and the way we are wired, does that mean that because of Genesis chapter three we are just wired to sin, or are we wired to a particular sin? I would say both. Um, we're oriented in general to sin, but yeah, I think that you know. Um, listen, I like uh, I like big ziti. Come on now. I love me some baked ziti with as much cheese as you can get on it and a little cup of marinara sauce on the side, garlic bread, and um, yeah. And so I, have, I think we have tastes, and I think we have particular tastes in sin too. So um, yeah, I think each individual person is made in this incredible complexity, and we, are, we do have a bent towards particular sin. Do you agree with that? Yep. All right, next, we got any other questions out there? We got one more? Just one more, Polly? All right. In talking about the adult child and their partner coming to a parent's home, how do you deal with outward expressions of affection? That's ah, good. Between the two in the presence of you and the others. Well, I deal that with it exactly the way I deal with that punk coming over with Arabella. Uh-uh, bro. Keep your hands to yourself, Jack. No, we're going to, no, you know. No. You, you can't make out at my, my dining room table, right? And you can't sit on each other's lap in my couch. All right? And so I would say the same thing. Look, I'm not going to slobber all over my wife. You know, it's just, not, it's just not good. No public displays of affection here, my friend. That would be my thing, you know, but I, I just don't think that. Yeah, I think I, it's your house. And you are rightly able to say this is the way we're going to behave ourselves. And have that conversation. But have it not, not in a sarcastic way like I'm doing right now. I'm not, I'm, you know, but... Have it in a, a clear, broken-hearted, over-sin way where you want to communicate. I want to, be, I, want, I want to be in a relationship with you, but there are going to be standards of decorum here when we're in my house. And yeah, it's an issue of respect yeah. and I mean, house rules. Yeah. Good question, though. I grew up in a situation like that um, with a, a dear family friend, and it was just known that when they were together that they just had to respect themselves, or respect the head of the household, my parents' friend. All right, any other questions? Yeah, Trish, why don't you, we got somebody to run a mic. Um, Steven, we got one more mic down here. Brian White, are you a mic runner? Are you, or did you just stand up? Did I just volunteer you as a mic runner? You don't really want to do this, but now you have to do it because I said something. Okay. Thank you, Brian. All right. Trish, bring her the mic. I really didn't want to use the microphone. Mm -hmm. um, I have a dear friend who is a male, has been there for me and my family for years. Mm -hmm. I found out about three years after I met this person that he was born a woman. And... I don't know how to handle that because my new husband 
I'm so, Trish, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the last part. Can you hold the microphone up just a little bit? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to handle that because my new husband. What's the situation now? He is what? He was born a woman. Oh, okay. But I found out several years after I met this person, and he's very dear to me and my family because he's always been there for us. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I should quit being his friend. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how to handle it because my husband can't be his friend because mm-hmm. of how he feels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't get the question, he has um, had uh, a, a gender change. Um, he's, so he's ha- has he had an operation or he's just a transvestite? He's had an operation. Okay. He's born a woman and has now had an anatomical change operation-wise and is now um, a man. Underneath all of that, a just dreadful, dreadful situation. Marred incredibly is still a human being. And that is a soul that is maybe about as broken as a soul can possibly be. But I don't, yeah, I think that there's a lot more delicateness that needs to happen there. But I think. I would want to, in some way, that broken soul, their only hope is the gospel. And we have the gospel. So with a whole lot of prayer and maybe a whole lot of counsel and a whole lot of collective wisdom, I'd want to know, how can, how can I be in a relationship with this broken, desperate soul? So that God in his kindness might use your relationship to draw that person to Christ. And, and listen, we find ourselves in all sorts of twisted situations. What, what would be my counsel to a person like that that came to Christ? Uh, uh, I don't know. What do you do? I think that's you cross that bridge when you get to it. But, and listen, I mean, I understand, I understand all the tensions, but I would want to wisely keep an avenue open to that person because they need Jesus. And as Hebrews says, Hebrews 7.25, I think, it says, he saves to the uttermost. I mean, even people that are absolutely as far as can be. That would be my thought. Yeah, and I I mean, I completely agree. Um, I mean, he needs Christians in his life loving him, pointing him to the gospel. Um, I mean, the only, I mean, maybe exception to that would be if there were sort of small children involved, like if there were children in your home, um, that would certainly caution me because of the confusion need to protect those kids. Um, But as adults, I think engaging that, there's appropriate ways to befriend him, to, to love him, to point him toward the Lord. Yeah. And befriending, I think, I just think, and it takes a lot of wisdom, it takes a lot of thought, it takes a lot of prayer, it takes a lot of just collective community wisdom, but I think there is a way to befriend somebody without condoning their behavior. And again, that's not an individual sport, man. We need, we need each other to figure that one out. And in that behavior especially, it's something that was done in the past. Uh, it's a little different than... Um, like uh, identifying oneself as a homosexual, where there's there's a you're, that's something that's being done currently. Uh, so I, I think it's a little little bit different, and 
you don't know if they regret that decision. You, you just don't know uh, the situation oftentimes in those those cases. But it was it, it was done. It's done in the past. Uh, certainly, there are lingering effects. But I think it is a little different even than someone who currently uh, identifies himself as a homosexual and then sort of pu- pushes that lifestyle yeah. um, on on other people. Yeah. And let me just say, Trish and Kevin, man, know that we're just we're. It, it just, Two minutes doesn't do that justice. And so know that we're open to dialogue with you guys and help and pray and you know, come alongside you in any way we can to just, to just wrestle with you on how to do that. So great question and yeah. Paul, how do we respond to wedding invitations from homosexual family members? I think there's grace on either side of this. You may disagree. My instinct is is probably to. I could see myself on a, in a, a situation going. I wouldn't take my kids. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think about that one. That's a great question, because I think it's on this spectrum of drawing close to a person. I wouldn't go if I did go. I would not go without a clear explanation of where I stood. I would say I'm going because I love you, man. I love you. I hate what you're doing. I hate it. And I think it has eternal consequences if you don't turn from your sin. But I love you. Um, that would be the only, if I went, it would be with that, with that, you know. Great question. Uh, yeah, nothing to add on that. Um, but even just given what's going on in our culture, I mean, one thing that we've done recently yes, is sort good, of yeah. revamp our wedding policy for the church and have a line in there that you must uh, agree uh, on a simple definition of marriage, that marriage is between one man and one woman. It's a covenant and it's intended for a lifetime. Um, so that we as a church have you know, protection against, um, say, a homosexual couple that would want to come and be married at the church just because they, they want to do that. So uh, this even made us as a church sort of mm-hmm. think about that issue. And obviously we would never marry someone like mm-hmm. that, but uh, oftentimes churches will just sort of rent out their space. We don't do that here, but they'll rent out their space to whoever wants to come. So we've, we've uh, made our policy yeah. uh, more firm in that regard to safeguard the church and the pastors. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes. Um, I have a nephew um, that he is he's struggling with homosexuality and we are very, very close. I pretty much nannied him uh, growing up, and um, he's about to be 18, and we've, he's opened up to me a little bit, um, but it's, it's our, our family just grew up in the church, and so it's, he knows where we stand, so I think he's afraid to fully come out and say, this is my struggle. And um, there's a book called Washed, Washed and Waiting, and it's basically about a, a homosexual man that grew up in the church, same and his story and his battle with homosexuality. And so I wanted to give him that book, but I don't know if that would be too bold to where he's going to uh, shut down, or I don't know. I just I really want to reach out to him. I just yeah. I'm not sure how. It's a great question. First, I think that's an excellent book. I've read that book. 
My only quibble with that book is that the, the author identifies himself as a gay Christian. Now, he has a biblical view of, of what the, he, he's taking God's side against his sin. He's, he's celibate. Um, but kind of that identity thing that I, 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 I want to push against identifying yourself as, you know, gay. You may be a Christian who wrestles with same-sex attraction, but, but that is a, that's an excellent book. My tendency would be to, yeah, engage because just you, you have a sense you're his uh, aunt or, yeah, I mean, you know, it might, come, might be better coming from a female, kind of have a, a mother's instinct there. It might be easier received from you. And I would, my, my instincts would be to engage, to move towards him, to look for the right opportunity. And in as humble and brokenhearted a way as you can with all the grace you can muster for the sake of his soul, yeah, that would be my instinct, but yeah, I think I think certainly that'd be the case. Um, the only thing is uh, with a re- like handing a book to somebody, and that can you just sort of have to know him and know the situation. I mean, some people can react against that um, negatively. Other people can be very open to to read that and to even study it with you and talk about it with you. So, sort of knowing him, sort of where he's at. I mean, using some wisdom, and you know, that's something that if you wanted to talk about like in more detail, we could definitely sit down and discuss it and help you work yeah. through that. Great question. Yeah, Casey. Was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Oh, hello. Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, I think the only thing I wanted to add to that, because I've been there and on the other side of it, is, um, like, I had multiple people that were, like, in my clarinet studio, like, in college, that kept in contact with me and, like, actually talked with me about this stuff. And though at the time I was like, oh, you're an idiot, but, you know, like, you know, I was born this way, you know, the whole thing, but the fact that they still had that planted the seed you know, and I still thought about it. It's not like I was like, whatever, but, you know, like just knowing that there were still people there that still cared about if I went to, you know, heaven or hell, you know, um, that was really a big encouragement. And I now can't thank them enough mm. for what they did do. So even if you are, like, I'm sure they were crazy nervous about talking to me about it, you know, but the fact that they did, even though, like, they may be, I, like, I got angry at them, you know, and, you might get rejection, and then you felt like you hurt them. I know from just just looking back, like, like I can't thank people enough. You know, the multitude of people that did help me. So. Amen. That might be the most helpful thing that has been said tonight, Casey. Thank you. That's excellent. Excellent. Because what Casey has just classified for us there is how important it is to push push through for the sake of a soul. Yeah. Praise God. Thank you for the sharing that. Pam. I hope this will not be an idiotic question. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up, um, I'm, I was a music major and um, went, was a um, music major <clears throat> in graduate school also. So I had friends in music who were homosexuals. Well, I'm not very involved at all in the music world anymore, but the little bit of the music world that I am involved with does still lead me back to 
homosexuals. Now my question is, and and these people when I was in school were some of my best friends. <laughs> they were wonderful friends, and I do love them, and I still love the ones that I'm in contact with now. Um, my question is, I was raised by a mother who always taught me <laughs> to think about how the public perceives it. <laughs> Am I wrong to think about that? I know we don't, we love the sinner, but we don't condone the sin, mm -hmm. but how do you um, love pe people um, and not send a message to the public that you are accepting of the sin? Am I making any sense? Yeah, you are, Pam. I, I think, yeah. Um, to some degree, I think that a fallen, unregenerate world is always going to misinterpret and misunderstand the right application of Christian love. And I'm, I would try and be less concerned with how my um, friendship with or loving a person who is in sin, whatever it may be, is viewed by people around me than I am about that person's soul. But I also know my, my tendency towards soft peddling things. I'm naturally a wimp. I mean, I just am, I'm a wimp. I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, my natural inclination is to hedge things and just kind of hope that kind of maybe by talking around an issue, people kind of get things, oh, he kind of understood, yeah. And so I need to, need to also realize that I am prone to um, not, to, to love people in my own sort of way that's not truly a biblical way. And so, yes, I don't care what the world thinks if I have this person come over to my house or I love them or I'm a friend with them or I'm seen in public with them eating. But I want to make sure that I'm not just hanging my hat on just, I'm understanding these people and I'm trying to love them like Jesus would love them. Well, I'm not really if I'm not truly having that difficult conversation with them saying, hey, man, you know, the way you're living is... is has eternal consequences. So turn from your sin, I pray, you know, and all the gospel conversations that you we want to have there. So um, yeah, great question, Pam. I just I just want to be I just want to be more concerned about the soul than the public. And um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean that's the way that Christ did yeah. in his life. Great he, point. Uh, he hung out with tax collectors and mm -hmm. outcasts and mm -hmm adulterers, adulterers yeah. and everything else. Uh, and he was misunderstood. Yeah. And so when you do that, you're, you're walking in the way of your Lord. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, like we're, we're, we're called to that and we will be misunderstood in this life. Amen. That's okay. Yeah. And you got one on the screen. What about those born as hermaphrodites? How do doctors and Christians address those questions concerning ro role they should assume? <laughs> um, well, I, I'll, I'll chime in. Um, yeah, thank you. This is extraordinarily rare. Uh, it does occasionally happen. Uh, I think that um, from a global issue, we can point all sin, all suffering back to the fall. So the, the reason that we even see this 
um, is because there's sin in the world, because Adam brought in sin in the world. We all have sin natures. We're all fallen. Um, why are some people born blind or some people born this way? There's sin in the world. Um, and so I, I think we can say that to the, to the beginning. Uh, what role they should assume, um, I, that's just so hard to answer uh, on a sort of like a big picture scale. I mean, it's going to depend a lot mm-hmm. on where they're at medically and what that looks like and is. And so it's not like a question that we can answer like specifically. Um, mm-hmm. It would be very, very tailored to that individual and what that person, um, how, how that person was born, um, hormonal treatments. I mean, there's just so many things that would be going on there. Yeah. Any other questions? Oh, okay. It's up there. When sharing the gospel with a homosexual, is it wise to point out that particular sin, or should I use other sins to show them we, as humans, broke God's law? Yeah. Every time Paul mentions it, 1 Timothy 1, 1 Corinthians 6, it's, it's embedded in a list. Uh, Romans 1, yes, 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 yes. I mean, I think this is, this is huge. I think this is where the church just often blows it as we, we box it up and put it on a jar like it's some science experiment in the kitchen. And, we act, and, we, and then we wink, wink at the college kid who's sleeping with his girlfriend and let him take communion or, or the guy who's just doing whatever. And we absolutely, we, 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 we betray the gospel. And so, yes, anytime we talk about homosexuality, it's within the context of human brokenness. Genesis 3, the fall, what the gospel has to say about all human sin. So great! I'm, I, whoever asked this, thank you. You get an, you get an extra cookie before you go. Gold home star, gold star. Yeah. Any other questions? I didn't even give you a chance to. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> if we know someone who struggles with homosexuality, is it a sin for us not to confront it? Yeah. It depends how much you yeah. know them. I mean, if they're yeah. um, a sibling or you know, if it's someone close to you, then. And you have lots of chances and you're involved in the personal life, yes, I, th- I think it yeah. is. Um, at least confront them with sin uh, and use that as an avenue to, to mm-hmm. point them toward the Lord. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Um, if it's that your college student, that's that guy in that class who sits on the other side and you see him for one semester, I mean, not necessarily, mm-hmm. um, yeah. because the reality is uh, everyone in that class. Uh, most of the people in that class may, be, may not be believers. They may all be fallen. And then we're sort of pointing out one sort of obvious and, mm-hmm. you know, person instead of like everyone else. So uh, it depends on uh, your relational, you know, connectivity with that person. But, yeah, if you're in that person's life, uh, we should all see ourselves as missionaries to the people who are around us, there to proclaim the gospel to those people who are in our sphere of influence. And if that person is in your sphere of influence, whether they're struggling with homosexuality or with whatever sin, um, yes, confront them uh, as a sinner in need of Christ. Amen. How to add, yeah. So not just homosexuality, but if the guy that you're close to is cheating on his wife, you don't just like, oh, gosh, that's terrible. And I hope when I sin, you guys treat me like that, too, because that's part of why we need each other, you know? We, we keep each other from falling off the cliff. All right, it's getting late here. Um, let's do w- one more question. Okay, 
One more question. We got one up there? Why do we refer to homosexuals as broken when they seem to be fairly happy? Um, because I think ultimately all sin um, is is broken. It's it, it, it. We as sinners are broken, and it is possible to be in a mind that is not regenerate, not trusting in Christ, to be oblivious to your true state before the Creator of the universe. And I think a lot of I think so. I'm not just saying homosexuals are broken. I'm saying all sinners who are giving themselves over to sin are broken. And there are a lot of people, in fact, maybe the majority of people in this world are ignorantly, blissfully unaware of their standing before a holy and righteous God. And um, so don't be fooled by the seductive nature of what our culture quantifies as happiness. Um, It's not a happy thing to be standing before the judge of all the earth and not have an advocate. And so, yeah, yeah, don't be, I think it's just a reminder, let's not be duped by culture and the American life and our best life now. And let's not be duped that joy is in vacations and houses and recreational vehicles. And and let's not be duped that true joy is in heterosexual sex. And let's not be duped that true joy is found in when you marry the hot guy or the hot girl and that you have good marital sex. And let's not be duped that true joy is having three cute little kids that are great athletes and straight-A students. I'm not saying those things aren't wonderful, but friends, we can make an idol out of anything, can't we? And when we trade in the worship of the creator for the worship of the created, we trade in what true happiness is, which can only be found in Jesus. So, yeah, I think that's a great place for us to end tonight. Um, Let's do this. Um, Let's give a hand to Casey for coming tonight. Um, Praise God. Um, and uh, let me just end by reading a scripture and then praying. And guys, stick around for a little bit and help us um, and help us clear out the table. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for sticking around. I hope this has been helpful um, and and encouraging to us. Paul writes in First Corinthians six. Do you not know that the unrighteous? First Corinthians six verse nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You may not have all of those things as applicable to your life, but we all have at least a couple of them. But verse 11 says, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God.
So thanks be to God that uh, he has washed us and that although we will, until Jesus comes back or we die and meet him face to face, we will always battle with our flesh and the devil and the world. But thanks be to God that he gives us his righteousness to take his side against our sin. Now let's pray. Father, thank you for these friends. Thank you for our dear brother Casey. Thank you for his life and testimony. Thank you for those friends that cared for his soul. Thank you for our dear brothers and sisters in this congregation who may wrestle with this. And I pray that they would find Crosspoint to be a safe place of gospel grace and truth and encouragement. Lord, I pray for our witness as a people in our city interacting with people that do not know you. I pray, God, that you would give us a fierce boldness, but wrap that boldness in a heart that breaks for people to know Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would use this congregation and the people in this room to be gospel-saturated Jesus-pointed, Bible-speaking, truth-declaring, God-infused, Spirit-led witnesses for the beauty and the joy and the satisfaction that can only be found in Christ to a lost and dying world. Help us go now into our week, humbly but confidently, in the beauty of the gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.